0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, March 4th, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to
1: KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon will be updating you on campus news, and then I'll be delivering local news. After that, we'll be hearing from KCSU
0: Assistant Sports Director Jonathan Gillum, and I will be speaking to Lynn Boland about the
1: Gregory Alacar Museum's reopening. Then, Cuddle will be delivering some national news. It'll be hearing from Maddie Erskine with some highlights from her recent in-studio with black and white motion picture. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and
0: speaking to Robin Vincent from Greeley's NPR station, KUNC, about how an increase in avalanche
1: deaths may be related to climate change. To conclude the show, Cuddle will be giving some updates on technology and I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently.
0: Let's move right into campus and local news.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my weekly newscasts. I'm Ellie Shannon, and we are still in our seventh week of the spring semester at Colorado State University. During an emergency meeting that was held by the Associated Students of Colorado State University, also known as ASCSU, Elections Manager Morgan May presented the candidates for the 51st Speaker of the Senate position. Senators Kyle Hill and Miles Robinson will be running for the position, which both received votes of confidence to run, according to C.C. Taylor of the Collegian. Colorado State University researchers say that a large number of students wear face coverings. The study conducted by the CDC shown that 93.9% of those on or near campus wear face coverings, with 95% wearing them correctly, according to Joe Giordano of CSU's College News. This is amazing news for campus, so keep up the good work, everyone. Also, feel free to take a look at virtual events happening at CSU. On March 4th at 7.30 to 9.30, the concert orchestra at CSU will be performing live on a live stream, being conducted by CSU's Andrew Mandisenball, orchestral graduate's teaching assistant. To take a look at upcoming events, go to CSU's college news page and click on Virtual Events at virtualevents.colostate.edu to see where and when events are happening. COVID saliva screenings are still available at Mac Gym, Moby Arena parking lot, and the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus. These are available to all students, staff, and faculty. Please make sure to tune into to the Rocky Mountain Review on KCSU, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Thanks for listening to my weekly newscast. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to 90.5 FM.
1: Hello, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and this is your local news for today. Poudre School District is opted out of Colorado's free COVID-19 testing for students. According to Molly Bohannon at the Coloradoan, On March 1st, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment began providing free rapid BinaxNOW antigen tests to more than 350 schools and districts across the state for their students. But Pooter School District will not be participating in the program, according to uh, Madeline Noblet, district spokesperson. She said that the district has monitored conditions over the past few months and feels as there's enough access to testing already. That, along with an uncertainty of costs and the results not being shared directly with PSD, is why the district will not participate for now. Noblet said in an email that, quote, If we can believe it is advantageous to join the program at a future date, we can, end quote. The district previously opted out of Binax now testing for symptomatic staff, citing similar reasons. A testing site for symptomatic staff is currently being operated at Poudre High School using the district's own rapid tests, not the BINX Now tests provided by the state. Through the expanded state testing program, students are eligible to be tested if they are symptomatic. They have been exposed to someone who has tested positive or are part of a continuous screening program. The state health department said that the testing is designed to, quote, increase safety of in-person learning and help decrease transmission rates of COVID-19, end quote. Tests are sent automatically to schools participating in the state's school mask program, but schools that are not included can request tests to be sent to them. Shipments of tests will be arriving this week and continue for the next three months, according to the Colorado Department of Education. Tests are to be given by authorized school personnel, and the results will be immediately shared with the state health department. Three people were injured during what law enforcement described as a disturbance at an East Fort Collins hotel early Wednesday morning. According to Sadie Swanson at the Colorado Inn, a news release reported that COVID, uh, Larimer County Sheriff's Office uh, deputies responded to an incident at the Clarion Inn on East Mulberry Street at about 7.30 a.m. Two adults were taken to hospitals to be treated for life-threatening injuries. One adult was treated for injuries by medical personnel at the scene, according to the s- Sheriff's Office. The investigation is ongoing. No further information was released as of the writing of this segment. There's no known threat to the public, according to the Sheriff's Office. Southbound Timberline Road will be intermittently closed over the next week due to gas line work. According to a city press release, the work is set to begin at 8 p.m. Wednesday. From 11 p.m. to 5 a.m., Southbound Timberline will be completely closed between Harmony Road and Timberwood Drive, which is the entrance to the shopping center containing the Cinemark Theater. There will be signed detour routes on eastbound and westbound Harmony to LeMay Avenue or Zeigler Road. Work will continue Sunday, March 7th through Thursday, March 11th, with intermittent closures between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. XL Energy is replacing an inoperable gas line on Timberline, and the closure is needed to ensure safety for cr- traveling crews and the public. That's all the local news I have for today. We'll be right back with sports, and in five minutes we'll be hearing about the reopening of the Alicar Museum at CSU. Stay tuned.
3: Hi, I'm DJ Sammy B.
4: And I'm DJ Fruit Guts. And And we're the the music music directors here at KCSU. KCSU. Tune in on Wednesdays from 3 to 4 p.m. for our show, Hidden Gems.
3: Where we bring you the freshest new music that's being added to our station.
4: So make sure to check us out if you want to be the first to hear what's new at KCSU.
5: Hello and good afternoon, Northern Colorado and KCSU listeners and Rams fans. It's Jonathan Gillen for KCSU Sports. Wow, what a week, right? This totally fits the Colorado weather lifestyle. Yesterday, it's warm and sunny, and then today we have, well, the murky weather. But let's get right into sports, though. So, just to wrap up on Tuesday, we mentioned that women's golf was playing in a, um, at the Bruin Wave. And they finished 13th that day. Men's basketball made up their game versus New Mexico, Mexico on Wednesday. And they won 87-73. Women's golf's uh, event at Bruin Wave continued. And they finished 12th on Wednesday. Tonight, women's basketball will play at New Mexico. And that is at 5 p.m. Mountain Time. On Friday, men's basketball will travel to Nevada to make up a game from February 20th. Cross Country is at the Mountain West Conference Championships. Both men and women teams have a chance to achieve this and maybe go on to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Women's soccer plays at 2 p.m. at the University of New Mexico. Women's softball plays at Northern Colorado. They're gonna have a tournament at UNC all weekend. Uh, Women's basketball plays at New Mexico at 5 p.m. Moving on to Saturday. uh, Softball plays Oregon State. Women's tennis was postponed and that was gonna be at 1 p.m. on Saturday. And then softball again has a game at 3 p.m. against South Dakota State. And then wrapping up with Sunday. Sunday, we have women's basketball is in Vegas, hopefully achieving a Mountain West Championship. We'll see. We'll see how that tournament goes and we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, Also on Sunday, women's soccer will play at Utah State University and softball will close out their tournament at UNC but face South Dakota State. And we'll have updates for you next week from all those big games. I hope uh, everyone has a great, safe weekend. Thanks for tuning in. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time.
0: All right, today I am joined by Lynn Boland from the Gregory Alacar Museum located in the UCA. And today we're just going to talk about the museum's reopening and kind of the things that'll go along with that. So thanks for joining me, Lynn.
6: So excited to be here, thanks for having me.
0: All right, so what drove the museum to reopen
6: recently? Well, you know, what really drove it was the ability uh, more than anything else. So, uh, you know, providing an in-person experience with great art for study and enjoyment is at the core of of what we do, of of who we are. Um, you know, it's our it's our raison d'être. So, um, having to close down and it you know it was nearly a year ago was just a huge hit to to everything that we do. We've adjusted and adapted, but um, you know again, getting people back into the galleries safely has been our our number one objective. So in the fall, we were able to reopen to the CSU community Monday through Fridays, but you know, really had to limit the the public hours. We were able to have public weekend hours for just a few weeks before we had to close again in November. So when we reopened this spring semester, it was again uh, only for the CSU community Monday through Friday. And our Uh, ability to reopen is really tied to CSU's um, instructional plan. And so when CSU announced that we would be able to move to phase three, that's when we knew that we would be able to reopen to the public and immediately, uh, you know, started to prepare for that and, and made the announcements, made the adjustments and are just thrilled that we could do that again.
0: Definitely. And what's special about how you guys are reopening?
6: I'll say it's something of a soft reopening. So um, in order to make sure that all of our procedures and protocols are, are working well, uh, we you know went ahead and and set the date to reopen as quickly as we could. This was last weekend. Um and, and now we're kind of rolling out the announcements and, and publicizing that and the, the new solo Sunday hours that we've got. Um and so you know that's really one of the um one of the most unique. Uh, parts of what we'll be doing on the weekends is that Sunday hours are limited to single person visits or single pod visits. So it's a really special opportunity to have the museum all to yourself. What are
0: some of those benefits of getting to view the art without other patrons outside of your group?
6: Yeah, that's a great question and you know i'll just say that i think there are a lot of of wonderful ways to experience art and to be in a museum um i'm of a mind that we are not a library and one doesn't have to, you know, whisper and tiptoe around. Obviously be careful around the art uh, and you know, maybe don't disturb other patrons too much, but, you know, it isn't, um, you know, this this sacred quiet space. So I think it could be a lot of fun, say at uh, opening or another event we have, uh, you know, usually we'd have music in the museum, concerts in the galleries regularly. Um, so experiences like that can be, a, a, you know, a wonderful way to experience art in a kind of lively and loud way. But, um, you know, there's something special, maybe even magical about being in an art gallery space and having it all to yourself. No distractions, um, you know, no, no waiting to see, you know, the work that's piqued your interest. It's, it's all yours to experience in whatever order and whatever way you want.
0: Will online viewing options still be available at all for the Alucard Museum?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we had to, we had to adjust Um, over the summer, having our galleries closed. uh, We weren't willing to just shut down what we do. So we really pivoted um, to something that we had wanted to do always. So, you know, this is one of the things about COVID is as horrible as it is, there are some silver linings. One can, you know, to use the cliche, make lemonade uh, from some of these lemons. So we had always wanted to introduce a more robust online exhibition and, and program slate. And, you know, being a small staff just didn't have the capacity to add that to what we were already doing. But once we had to shut down the physical spaces, we had the, you know, the time to to put into that. So we created a series of virtual exhibitions, some recreating the physical galleries, others, you know, really novel, innovative exhibitions that frankly could not have happened physically. Um, So we rolled those out, we started introducing more video tours um, and other kind of, you know, online elements to, to experience the art. And so that's been a great success. And it's given us tools in our kit that we can continue. So the beautiful thing about online and virtual exhibitions is we don't have to deinstall them to make room for something else. We just add a new one. So all of those, we have a series of artist curated exhibitions. Uh, it's called Cars Online. And it draws from um, these artists who were past participants in our critic and artist residency series, Cars. Um, they choose work from their own body of work but also from the museum's collection putting them into a kind of dialogue so those exhibitions and there are currently five of those um will remain on view and in fact we've got another one planned that we'll be adding later this spring by the artist zora Mert, who who is here a couple of years ago for a physical exhibition looking at Uh, the abhorrent practice of redlining and its relationship to other forms of racism uh, and racial violence. Um, So, you know, these shows uh, are just a a wonderful thing that we're able to not only keep available, but continue to add to now that we know, um, kind of now that we know what we're doing. Um, You know, the same with the video tours and other video programs. Um, This was something that we were able to offer occasionally before, but really became a mainstay over the summer. And so now they've um, they're they're worked into our plans for physical exhibitions as well. And so this has really broadened our reach. Um, you know, it makes us more accessible to people in the community and augments uh what you're able to see in in the galleries but also gives us a, an international reach and so we've been seeing that in our in our web metrics which is really exciting so the, all of those things will definitely continue uh now in tandem with our with our physical exhibitions and programs
0: all right And then can you also tell me about the new exhibits that will be opening and have started opening at the alikar museum
6: Absolutely. Uh, It's always an exciting time when we're opening new exhibitions. So the museum always has five galleries that are devoted to our permanent collection uh, and a sculpture garden. And in addition to that, we have three other temporary gallery spaces that we make use of. So uh, in the largest of these spaces, we've got Shattering Perspectives, a teaching collection of African ceramics. This is a uh, the. University Museum equivalent of a blockbuster exhibition this is really a stunner um and you know I just have to say everybody needs to come see this <laughs> it's uh, got 142 uh, African pottery uh, vessels from all over the continent um, all you know different cultures it represents one of the great collections of this material in the United States. Um and so to have the opportunity to to see them all together and make these comparisons. Um, is really unique even for us because while they uh, this exhibition is drawn from works in our collection, as you can imagine, 142 pots, um, they're not something you could see all at once. So our collection is always accessible um, to anyone and especially CSU students and faculty, but there's no way for us to, to show all of these at once except in this gallery. So this is really a unique opportunity. Um, then we have a companion exhibition um, with that called Richard Devore in the teaching collection. Richard Devore, um, now deceased, Potter uh, was on faculty at CSU and arguably the most, um, you know, internationally renowned artist um, to, to work in Fort Collins ever. Richard, we have a few of Richard's works in our collection um, and we have a large number of works that were donated by Richard DeVore and Jan DeVore, um, originally to a teaching collection in the Department of Art and Art History. And these were used to help um, you know supplement classes when the museum was founded, that collection came to us, um, but its role as a teaching collection remains—you uh, know—very important, very relevant. Um, this exhibition is is just wonderful because it brings together uh, DeVore's work and you know there's objects that he you know really gravitated to and, and responded to, and it's a diverse collection that includes African objects, um, Indigenous American objects, um, you know, studio pottery. Then the third exhibition also relates to to CSU and its um, art programs. It's um, Clara Hatton, a vision for art at CSU. Now Clara Hatton um, started here in the 1930s in uh, the Division of Home Economics and really built the Department of Art. Um, she wasn't the first to teach art, but really, uh, you know, built the curriculum, built the department um, and was, uh, you know, just a, a fascinating person and a, a fascinating artist because she worked in, in every medium, um, you know, very much a product of the Great Depression, um, you know, took this you know, a, a approach of of kind of doing it all, taking it all on. Um, this kind of can-do attitude, this um, you know, Jill of all trades. Uh, she grew up on a on a Kansas farm. You know, and in, and uh, on a farm, you, 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 if it's broken, you fix it. You you figure out how. And she took that approach to to art making, and to teaching art, and built uh, you know an incredibly strong. Art department, art program. Um, so th- this exhibition is a survey of her work from you know very early student works, um, prints made during her training in uh, England, um, fabrics, ceramics, paintings. Um, she was a fantastic bookbinder, and so uh, there are examples of that. So it's a it's a small exhibition uh but it really manages to pack a lot in um so very much a, a a retrospective of her artistic life so those are the three temporary exhibitions that that we've reopened this spring with
0: all right thank you for that and why do you think it's important for students to have easy access to the arts on campus
6: uh, another great question the you know great universities have great art museums and. In large part, that's because visual art intersects with every other element of society and culture, uh, you know, it gives access to some of the most challenging uh, you know, problems of our time. Um, it sheds light on other perspectives on other periods and other places in a way that um, You know, all art forms can, but I think visual art uh, does it in its own unique way. And we have a collection of over 5,000 objects um, spanning more than 2000 years and, you know, every continent on on the planet. So uh, it's a incredibly rich resource that everyone, on this campus and in our region has access to. Um, so I just, you know, encourage everybody to, to make use of that that resource.
0: All right, and then if anyone wants to visit the new exhibits, is there anything that they should know before going? So if anyone wants to visit the Alucard Museum, is there anything that they should know before going?
6: Yes, uh, you want to make a reservation, It's quick and easy, just visit our website at artmuseum.colostate.edu. And from the visit tab, a few more clicks, pick your spot, and it's yours. Uh, So access is is easy. uh, Parking is abundant. And, um, you know, we're easy to reach, especially if you're already on campus.
0: Thanks so much for being on the show today, Lynn.
6: Thanks so much, Koda. Glad to be here.
0: All right, again, that was Lynn Boland from the Gregory Alcar Museum on campus in the UCA. Now we're going to be hearing some national news after a quick break.
3: CSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com.
0: And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are national news highlights for Thursday. Senators have reached a deal on the next stimulus bill, which would promise $1,400 to eligible Americans. According to Nicholas Wu at USA Today, the payments would go to any American making under $75,000 per year. Originally, this stimulus would include anyone making up to $100,000 annually, but the goal of this bill was to get moderate moderate senators on board by ensuring that wealthier Americans would be left out. Those making under $80,000 would still be eligible for some of the stimulus, but not the full $1,400. This deal also includes a $400 boost for federal unemployment benefits until August of 2021. Senators worked to put a price tag on the bill this morning, and their hope is to vote on it by the end of the week. Thursday's House session was canceled due to police warnings of potential attacks on Congress. According to Mark Katkov and Scott Newman from National Public Radio, the House session was canceled due to a threat by a militia group against the Capitol. The Senate remained in session to continue work on a COVID-19 stimulus and relief bill. Far-right militia groups and conspiracy theorists have a particular interest in March 4th as previous presidents were inaugurated on that day until 1933. These groups believe that former President Donald Trump is still able to be re-inaugurated on this day despite the 20th Amendment requiring an inauguration day of January 20th. The House of Representatives passed an ethics and election-centered bill that counters current attempts to restrict voting access. According to Claire Foron and Annie Geyer from CNN, Democrats describe the bill as anti-corruption legislation. The package is focused on improving accountability in politics and expanding voting access nationwide. Republican senators argue this, that it limits political speech and is intended to support Democrats in gaining an advantage in future elections. Last month, a tally showed that 43 states had over 250 bills introduced into their legislators that involved restrictive voting provisions. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for National News. Now we're going to be hearing from Maddie Erskine and local band, Black and White Motion Picture. In about 10 minutes, we'll be hearing some COVID-19 updates with myself.
4: Hello and welcome to this week's virtual in-studio. My name is Maddie Erskine, local music director here at KCSU, and I am so excited to introduce you all to the Denver-based band, Black and White Motion Picture. First, let's kick off this in-studio with their song, Retro Heartbreak. There You just heard Retro Heartbreak by Black and White Motion Picture right here on 90.5 KCSU.
3: My name is Josh. I'm uh, he, him. I'm the lead singer and guitar player.
7: I'm Tony. Uh, He, him. I also play guitar. Uh, I'm Andy. He, him. I
3: play bass.
4: Well, that leads into my next question. My first question, I guess, but you formed as a band back in 2018. How did the band come together and what inspired you all to play in this louder rock-like genre
3: I think we just kind of as far as the genre goes I think we just kind of go with whatever I don't think we're like hey let's sound like this (laughs) we kind of just things just kind of come out the way they come out me and Tony have been playing together for years and we had a band that kind of dissolved before this one and one morning we were playing and we were playing Gay Bar by Electric Six and like later that night I knew I was going to meet Bart our drummer so I was just like hey I know this drummer I haven't seen him in like 10 years let me see if I can convince him to come play drums with us
7: yeah, you know, I don't think we, we approach our music with like, okay, we have to sound like this, we have to utilize these elements. I mm-hmm. we don't really do that. I think we all just kind of come from a different background and kind of contribute something a little different. And I don't know, I guess what you hear is just the culmination of all those things.
4: Yeah, definitely. Do you have some specific artists that have helped inspire you?
7: You know, we all love Nirvana, of course. You know, but
4: of
3: course, like, mm-hmm. you know,
7: things like Black Sabbath or uh, our drummer, Bart, he has a background in like punk and ska. So, of course, he loves like madness and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, we pull a lot from, like, indie rock. Like, I'm huge into, like, Inner Pool and <laughs> stuff like that. And I love Deftones and Incubus as well. So, yeah, just kind of a melting pot of just randomness. And Andy's all over the board. Oh, yeah, I am. I'd say Paul McCartney is probably my favorite bassist. Phil Lesh for Grateful Dead is another one. Uh, yeah, a lot of indie rock uh, influences, like Spoon and... Inner and Foo Fighters had a baby, and that's, like, what we sound <laughs> yeah.
4: like. So you released your first album during the pandemic after not being able to play shows. How did these circumstances affect the record?
3: Well, it made it easier because there wasn't shows to play. So we just focused on practicing the songs and then going up and recording them. So that made it quite easy. But as far as the after release part of it, it's been kind of bittersweet. It's like, yeah, we got it. This is awesome. But now it's like, oh, no, we're not playing shows. So we can't really promote it all that much.
7: Yeah, I don't know. There was a time when our calendar was just full of live shows. It was pretty awesome, but we didn't have Mm -hmm. a lot of time to write. We were playing shows and practicing and playing shows and practicing and like, we were very busy. It was great, but Mm -hmm. I think the pandemic forced us to record something. I don't think, I don't know. It it had to happen this way. I, but uh, I don't know. I think it forced us to write music and focus on recording and we did.
3: Yeah and like now that there still aren't really shows where like we've been writing more songs and now we're like talking about okay are we gonna do like an EP or are we gonna make another album like we have like a lot of material just kind of coming out right now.
7: Well yeah and the material we've been writing I'm you know I'm sure you, every artist says this but it's super strong I think it's some of the best stuff we've made so.
3: Yeah I think it's gonna blow mm-hmm. like our first record out of the out of the water.
4: That's exciting yeah I think this time as much as it sucks it has really fostered some creativity. Sure.
3: Mm-hmm. but it's also like sucks for some bands like i I don't know there's like three bands that I knew just from playing shows with they are all like, broken up now just because of it and that's just yeah it just sucks that it's taken away as much as it's you know it's not really giving as much as it's taking away I guess
7: yeah it's kind of taken from the dimmer yeah to no
4: side.
7: totally
3: mm-hmm.
4: yep it's a very unfortunate situation and I know that we all really miss live shows and just kind of speaking of that I my next question is just like what are some of your mem- favorite memories from your past live shows?
3: I'd say huh? uh, the first one that we played at Lost Lake that was like probably one of my favorites just I haven't been on stage in forever I've been on stage with other bands but not with this band and that was just really fun and then mm-hmm. at Herman's uh, last January before this all really hit we had a crazy we're well, not crazy big we had a decent sized crowd and that was just really fun Played with uh, State Gypsy and a Senorita Sometime, and yeah, that was just a really fun show.
7: Yeah, those bands are great. By the way, um, we've played the Denver Art Society a couple times. I have very fond memories of doing that. Uh, last February, we played uh, the Velvet Room. That was an awesome show. Uh, I had a lot of oh, fun. Yeah.
3: Oh my! My favorite was definitely um, yeah. My favorite was definitely that uh, that first Friday show where I was playing. I think bef- before black and white in my previous band and I was kind of coexisting in this band and uh, uh bef- like before that I was like with the with the old band I I led like a cover of uh, rebel rebel by David Bowie and that was just one of my favorite moments of, of my playing career <laughs> <That's
6: super laughs> and fun.
3: Uh, and then yeah then finished off by playing a set with black and white and so it was a great uh Great night. Yeah, that was a huge crowd. I remember that night. That was fun. It was awesome.
4: Yeah, I think it's definitely something we are all missing quite a bit. <laughs> so hopefully it comes back you know, soon.
7: <laughs> I hope so. I'm sad we couldn't like come up to the studio tonight and like, perform, you know? Yep.
4: Yeah,
3: that would have been fun.
4: Yeah, exactly. Even with like this, it's like we have such strict COVID restrictions, which are fully reasonable, especially because we are a small station. I mean, that room is pretty small. Um, So it's just like one of those situations where it's like we can't even get people six feet away in this room. So how are we (laughs) supposed to do it? You can't, you
7: know,
4: someday. Yeah. Remodel. Someday. That's it. Remodel, right? Just like take down. (laughs) I think we should just expand and take over the entire basement. They don't, Let's no do one it. else needs anything down here. Just, just Rocky Mountain student media. <laughs> then I'll we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> what effect do you hope your music has on listeners and fans?
3: Uh, I like the the notion that it kind of helps them with their lives.
7: I hope people listen to it and have an emotional response. Exactly what Josh said. You know, I really do hope that someone listens to it and it means something to them,
4: you know? If you missed any of this virtual in-studio or want to hear the band chat about their music again, this episode will be up on kcsufm.com Thank you all so much for tuning in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
3: Until Their Home is a Fort Collins based nonprofit dedicated to reducing the homeless pet population. For approved applicants, they offer behavioral support, supplies, pet sitting, dog walking, and temporary fostering. Until Their Home is also offering rehoming counseling and provides home to home rehoming services. They also support Colorado shelters through their Find a Foster program, where they provide a path to adoption for those struggling in shelters. Learn more at untilhome.org.
0: And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Maddie Erskine with another in-studio session. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Thursday. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of nearly 2,500 cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty. Larimer County is currently at a medium risk score for COVID-19 transmission, but the county is starting to fall into the high-risk zone. On the state-style framework, Larimer is under level yellow concern. Nearly 20,000 cases have been reported in the county, along with 224 deaths and over 360 outbreaks. Nearly 100,000 vaccinations have been performed in the county. In the last 24 hours, 55 new cases were reported, and in the past two weeks, every day has seen at least 50 new cases, but no day has seen over 10% of all tests administered come back positive. Larimer County's 14-day case rate is almost 270 per 100,000 residents, and there are 14 COVID patients currently in the hospital. Overall hospital utilization is at 68%, and ICUs are starting to fill up with a 79% utilization total. The state of Colorado has over 430,000 cases of COVID-19, and over 2.5 million Coloradans received COVID-19 tests as of Thursday morning. Nearly 6,000 people with COVID-19 have died, and nearly all of those deaths have been linked with COVID-19 complications. Colorado has nearly 4,000 total outbreaks. Nationwide, there are over 28.7 million reported cases of COVID-19, with an increase of nearly 60,000 Wednesday. Deaths have reached over 515,000, with an increase of over 1,000 on Wednesday. In the past two weeks, cases have gone down by 19%, and deaths have gone down by 9%. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from the virus and its transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, wearing hand sanitizer, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, and staying at home when possible. Information from this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. For information on vaccine eligibility, go to covid19.colorado.gov. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. If you missed any part of our show so far, check us out on Spotify or online at kcsufm.com. Next up, we're hearing from a KUNC reporter about a recent article on avalanche fatalities. Today, I'm joined by Robin Vincent from KUNC to talk about her recent piece on avalanche fatalities and climate change. So this season, there were 33 reported avalanche deaths so far. How does this compare with other years?
8: Well, this number already uh, overshadows the number of fatalities for the entire season last year. So this certainly has... A lot of avalanche forecasters, uh, snow scientists concerned about safety in the backcountry. I've heard from um, multiple people in that sphere who've uh, described the snowpack as horrific and horrendous and very, very difficult.
0: So, how are avalanches before recorded history really being analyzed to figure out if this is a pattern?
8: Ah, uh, yes, that's that's uh points to some interesting research that Eric Peisch over at the United States Geological Survey has performed recently. He just released a study, uh, he looked at tree rings dating back to the 1600s to um, piece together an avalanche timeline, and this work was uh presented quite a few challenges. If you've ever uh, seen the the aftermath of an avalanche, or if you have been unfortunate enough to have been caught in one yourself, you know that um, avalanches are so powerful that they take trees out with them and destroy them. So they're were um, issues in that sense for him trying to gather enough trees um, or study enough tree rings. But he and his team were able to paint a picture of avalanche frequency. And he has another uh, paper coming out very soon. um, And he uses factors. um, He further analyzes the climate drivers that played a role in those avalanches. So the hope is Um, that he'll be able to connect this research with the research looking at tree rings and and be able to tell us, um, has the frequency of avalanches been much greater in recent years as we have watched um, certain um, aspects of the climate crisis propel avalanches?
0: So you spoke to researcher Dr. Yordi Hendricks for a lot of this story. Can you tell me how he also connected the COVID-19 pandemic to deadlier avalanche conditions?
8: Yes. So he mentioned that anecdotally, what he and other researchers are seeing is this surge in backcountry use. And we know that this is happening because uh, avalanche courses have been full. Right, um, visually, if you head to popular backcountry areas, you'll see that trailheads are very clogged. He mentioned also that there's been an increase in sales of backcountry equipment. Again, this is all sort of anecdotal, and researchers like Dr. Hendricks they want more um, data. So he and uh, another researcher from Montana State University as well as a researcher from University of Nevada have just launched a survey and they are hoping that um, as many people as possible are going to fill out this survey to give them a better idea of who exactly is entering the backcountry right now. And the reason that they want to know Um, who's venturing out is because that will then help them to craft messaging that will save lives. Uh, Jordi Hendricks talked about um, there at some points when we see declines in avalanche deaths, researchers believe that that has to do with um, good outreach. And so in order to save lives in the future, they want to know who's out there, then they can craft messaging that speaks directly to um, these users. Why
0: exactly are conditions of the backcountry ski areas more dangerous?
8: Sure, yeah. This is uh, emblematic of climate change models, essentially, and that is that. Um, avalanches reflect the weather. This is how it was described to me by um, researcher Dr. Yordi Hendricks. Because avalanches reflect the weather and weather patterns have become more extreme thanks to climate change, uh, we are seeing a, a more unstable snowpack. And specifically in Colorado, that has meant these periods of drought followed by um, periods of heavy precipitation. And so then um, we see a snowpack that becomes um, very much unstable um, and, and, and ripe for avalanche conditions. All right. And then do you happen to have any information about how
0: users of these backcountry areas can find out more about this survey?
8: So people who are interested in filling out this survey about their backcountry use can visit the following website. It's med.unr.edu slash ski study. And I can say that again for listeners. It's med.unr.edu forward slash ski study.
0: Thank you so much. Again, that's Robin Vincent with KUNC. If you want to read this article or find out more about her stories, you can go to KUNC.org. All right. Thank you so much for your time again.
8: Thank you, Koda.
5: Maximus, have you caught the latest gladiatorial match? No, but I plan on catching the recap on the KCSU Sports Podcast. KCSU always has and always will bring you sports.
0: And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Robin Vincent of KUNC about how the climate crisis may be impacting avalanche death numbers. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Technology News Highlights for Thursday. Parler's former CEO, John Mates, was stripped of all shares in the company, According to Bobby Allen at National Public Radio, those familiar with Mates' firing say that the conservative social media site removed him from having any stake in the comf- company after he attempted to address moderation. Mates's firing came after he proposed content restrictions in the aftermath of the Capitol attacks and Parler being removed from the App Store and Amazon Web Services. Mates's interest in the con- content restrictions intended to target domestic terrorism and conspiracy theory QAnon specifically, Rebecca Mercer, parlor chief financier, replaced mates with interim chief executive Mark Meckler, the co-founder of the tea, par- the tea Party Patriots. Google is phasing out ad tracking technology from Google Chrome. According to Kelvin Chan and May Anderson from the Associated Press, this move is intended to protect and prioritize user privacy. This change won't involve Google search or YouTube, meaning that ad tracking based on information received by those two platforms will still be used to personalize ads for users. The removal of ad tracking from Chrome's browser follows a trend in regulation plans from Apple and federal regulators in the US and the UK to remove some data collection practices. Google recently announced the removal of third-party cookies from its browser, but only recently announced that there won't be a Google exclusive replacement for those cookies either. In a blog post, Google's director of product management for ad privacy and trust, David Temkin, said, quote, If digital advertising doesn't evolve to address the growing concerns people have about their privacy and how their personal identity is being used, we risk the future of the free and open web, end quote. Microsoft claims that cyber attackers exploited its email services to gain access to users' devices. According to Michelle Toe from CNN Business, the hackers have been linked to China and took advantage of software vulnerabilities to access Microsoft Exchange Service servers. Microsoft shared in a blog post that there is no current evidence suggesting that the hackers targeted individual users. Hafnium was named the group responsible for the attack and Microsoft has previously dealt with them. Halfnium is a hacker network that typically targets the United States. While they are believed to be based in China, a spokesperson for China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs says that China, quote, firmly opposes and fights all forms of cyber attacks and thefts in accordance with the law, end quote. The hacking group uses U.S.-based servers to infiltrate a variety of different companies and governmental organizations. That's all for tech news. In about two minutes, we'll be hearing weird news with Ivy Winfrey, so stay tuned.
1: Hi, we're MXPX. XPX. This is Yuri. I'm Mike. What's up? You're listening to KCSU 90.5. Hello, everyone. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes we need to get a little bit weird with it. So here's a couple of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. Colorado is now home to the continent's first cloned endangered species. According to Megan Hiller at KKTV, The critically endangered black-footed ferret was thought to be extinct until a very small population of them was discovered in Wyoming in 1981. That population has since died out, and now the 300 remaining black-footed ferrets are all descended from only seven individuals, which has made genetic diversity an issue. Until now. Scientists have cloned a black-footed ferret named Elizabeth Ann, created with cells harvested from the frozen body of one of the ferrets from the original Wyoming population, making Elizabeth Ann the first ever cloned endangered species in North America. Elizabeth Ann is currently being held in the National Black-Footed Ferret Conservation Center in Colorado. Elizabeth Ann will not be released into the wild. Instead, she'll be studied and help increase genetic diversity until researchers are able to ensure wild release won't result in unintended consequences. An airline flight was forced to make an emergency landing after a cat attacked the pilots in the cockpit. According to Dan Lake at NewsHub. a Tarco Airlines flight was flying from Khartoum Sedan to Dota Qatar last weekend when the pilots in the cockpit were attacked by a cat moments after takeoff. The pilots said that they were forced to land the plane because the cat's erratic movement and scratching made it both impossible to catch and hazardous to the pilots. At first, the airline thought that the cat had been smuggled aboard by a passenger, but further investigations found that the cat had snuck aboard the plane while it was in the hangar the night before its flight. There were no reported injuries. The current location of the cat is reportedly unknown. A new study has found that human beings have an extreme difficulty knowing when to continue or stop conversations. According to Rachel Neuer at Scientific American, a study published on March 1st in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences USA found that conversations almost never end even when both parties in the conversation want them to, and that people are a very poor judge of telling when the other person wants to end the conversation. And they also found that many people found their conversations were too short in length. Researchers undertook two experiments to measure if people were good judges of conversation length. In the first, they quizzed 806 online participants about the duration of their most recent conversation. Most of them had taken place with a significant other, a family member, or a friend. The individuals involved detailed whether there was a point in the conversation at which they wanted it to end and estimated when that was in relation to when the conversation actually ended. A second experiment, held in the lab, the researchers split 252 participants into pairs of strangers and instructed them to talk about whatever they liked from anywhere to 1 to 45 minutes. Afterward, the team asked the subjects when they would have liked the conversation to have ended, a guessed about their partner's answer to the same question. What the researchers found was that only 2% of conversations ended at the time both parties desired and only 30% of them finished when one of the pair wanted them to. In about half the conversations, both people wanted to talk less, but their cutoff point was usually different. Participants in both studies reported, on average, that the desired length of their conversation was about half of its actual length. Most people also failed in attenuating their partner's desires, when participants guessed and when their partner had wanted to stop talking, they're off by about 64% of the total conversation length. Doctoral candidate of psychology Anna Masterani, the lead researcher in the study, said of it, quote, Whatever you think the other person wants, you may well be wrong, so you might as well leave at the first time it seems appropriate, because it's better to be left wanting more than less, end quote. That's all the weird news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. And now, for the weather.
0: Today the weather was pretty cold compared to earlier this week, with rain showers and a high of forty-six with a low of twenty-six. Friday will warm back up to a high of 59 with a low of 30, and Saturday will even start to get some cloud cover with a high of 61 and a low of 37. Sunday will warm up even more to a high of 64 with a low of 36, and Monday will be almost exactly the same in terms of weather. Tuesday will cool down to a high of 55 with a low of 20 degrees, and there will be mild winds throughout the weekend and into next week. And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in next Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
1: Information was gathered from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now.
0: We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Matt Guzmirati, Maddie Erskine, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Krueger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandel, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you.
1: And I'd like to thank you, Coda.
0: And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.